Please take your Bibles and open them to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 10 through 13 this morning. We're going to be learning what it means to be a content Christian. Learning to be a content Christian. And this morning we're beginning a new section in Philippians 4 here. We've spent a few weeks working through verses 1 through 9, and we come now to verse 10 here where we're in a new section as Paul is coming to the close of his letter to the Philippians. In my undergrad at the University of Idaho, I majored in public relations. That was my major, and part of the the curriculum that we had in public relations was that we had to take classes on advertisement, advertising classes. And one of the things that they would tell us in these advertising classes is that we need to help the consumer to understand their need. Tell them why they need this product. And so as we would create ads for the class, we would always have that question in the back of our minds. Why do I need this product? The professor would say, convince me. Convince me why I need this product. And we would then have to convey that in the advertisement. And good advertisements will do that. They do that. They'll usually get you with questions like, are you not sleeping well at night? Do you tend to roll over a lot? In your sleep? Would you like to sleep better at night? And you're going to answer yes to one of those questions, right? Well, yes, of course I would like to sleep better at night. You know what they've just done? They created a need. They created a need in your life. You now have a need. And so, what's the solution? Well, our mattress is the solution. Our pillow is the solution. Our sound machine or whatever it is that they're trying to sell you so that you can sleep better at night. And they'll use all kinds of tactics to try and create this need. A need in your life. You know what the best way that they do this with is? Emotion. Emotion. In fact, if you take an advertising class, that's one of the things that they're going to tell you. You have to have some kind of emotional grab. Grab them with emotions because people are led by their emotions. So you'll see a commercial for puppy chow, and there's a cute little puppy on there, and I don't even have a dog, but I want to buy puppy chow. Because they've got me with their emotion, with my emotion. They've created a need there. But they'll never ask you, are you content with how you're sleeping at night? Oh, you are? You are content? Well, you know, in the future, if you ever need a mattress, well, we're the mattress for you. They don't do that. In fact, they don't want you to be content, right? 
they want you to have a need. And because we live in a consumer culture, it's all around us. Advertisements are all around us. I can't tell you how many billboards we passed by just on the way to church this morning. And now they have the digital ones that just keep flashing more and more advertisements at you. So it's not just one anymore. It's all around us. I read a statistic that said that a typical consumer sees 300 ads a day. That's 109,500 per year advertisements. Some statistics, because of social media, have even gone up as much as 4,000 ads a day that people see. But even if you go with a low number, that's 109,500 times a year that you are being told you have a need. You need something. Something's missing in your life. And you need it. And why do these advertisement companies do this? Because they know that people are not content with what they have. They know that. So they know that they can create a need in your life. In our passage here this morning, we're going to see the Apostle Paul who has learned contentment. He has learned to be content in his life. He learned to be content in whatever circumstance he was in. And we're going to look at some ways that you and I can learn to be content. Look at Philippians 4 with me and let me read our passage for us beginning in verse 10. Paul says this, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to <coughs> live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now as we come to this portion of Scripture, we need to a little bit of background to help us understand why Paul is writing this here. You see, it's been 10 years since Paul first started the church in Philippi. Ten years since the founding of the church there at that prayer meeting that Paul walked into. And in that ten years, the, the Philippians had been supporting Paul and his ministry. In fact, after he left Philippi, it was the Philippian believers who were supporting him. Look over at verse 15 in chapter 4. Notice what he says there. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. You alone did that. You see, after Paul had left Philippi, he went down to Thessalonica, then he went to Berea, and then eventually he left Macedonia. Those towns were still, they were a part of Macedonia. He then left Macedonia. He went to Athens and then to Corinth, which is in the region of Achaia. And all during that time, the Philippians were supporting him and his ministry. 
No other church shared with him, but the Philippians did. They supported him. But over the years, somehow the support had stopped. Over that 10-year period, the support from the Philippian believers had stopped. We don't know how. Some possibilities have been offered. It's, it's possible that the Philippians were impoverished and unable to support him. He talks about this in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 and 2, where he talks about their poverty, that they've given to him out of their poverty. And so it's possible that they're just impoverished and unable over those 10 years to give to him. It's possible that they became unaware of Paul's needs, and so they didn't send him anything. They didn't know that Paul had needs. Maybe other churches had been supporting Paul and he didn't have needs at this time. That's possible. It was possible that they were unable to locate Paul on his travels and so they weren't able to get the support to him. Whatever it was, their support had stopped for some time in Paul's ministry. But after the coming of Epaphroditus from the Philippian believers, he was a part of Philippi, after the coming of Epaphroditus to visit Paul in Rome while he was there in prison, the support had started up again. In fact, notice over in verse 18, notice what Paul says there. He says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus which you have sent a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So when the Philippians heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, they sent Epaphroditus to go and minister to Paul and to bring him this monetary gift. It was his job. They sent him on a mission. Paul's over in Rome. We know where he's at. Epaphroditus, your job is to go and go and minister to him. And, and by the way, bring him this gift as well from us. And so that's the background of, of why Paul writes what he does here in verse 10. As we work our way through these verses, we're, we're going to look at Paul's examples so that we can learn how to be content in our own lives. Just as Paul did. He was a man who learned to be content. We're going to see three things here that we can do to have contentment in our own lives. To be content, you must first, number one, trust in God's sovereignty. You must trust in God's sovereignty. Notice what Paul says there again in verse 10. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Notice that Paul practiced what he preached, right? He was a man who practiced what he preached. Notice there what he says at the beginning of verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord. Remember what he said back in verse 4? What was the command there? Rejoice in the Lord always. And if you didn't get it the first time, I'll tell you again. Rejoice. It was command that the church is to be people who rejoice. We are to be those who are filled with joy. Paul rejoiced. Notice he rejoiced in the Lord. Notice what he says there, that he rejoiced in the Lord. He didn't say that he rejoiced in the gift that they had sent. 
or that he rejoiced that they had sent Epaphroditus even with a gift. But he rejoiced in the Lord greatly. His joy was always found to be in the Lord. And what stirred his joy at this moment? Well, he says that now at last you have revived your concern for me. That word revive there means to cause to grow or, or to bloom again. It's a word that was used to describe a plant that was flowering again, much like ours are right now. You look outside and they're blooming now. It's springtime. It's finally here. And it's all blooming. You see, they had been gospel partners with Paul for the last ten years. But at some point they had lost touch with Paul and, they had, and Paul had lost touch with them. But the fact that Epaphroditus has come with a gift for him caused him to rejoice now in the Lord. They have become like a, a blooming flower in Paul's life. He hadn't heard from them in a while, but now he has and it causes him to rejoice. And again, not rejoice in the gift, not rejoice in the fact that Epaphroditus has come, but to rejoice in the Lord. And then to let them know that he doesn't think that they've just completely forgotten about him. Notice he says there, he says, indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. I know that you never gave up your concern for me, but you lacked opportunity. He understood that due to their circumstances, whatever those circumstances were, they lacked the opportunity for them to show their concern for him. But notice how Paul responds to their concern. He doesn't say, boy, it's about time one of you guys showed up with some money. <laughs> or, I'm rejoicing in this gift that you guys have finally sent. No, Paul's language here shows that there was a never a concern or an anxious thought about God's provision in his life. And so when they show up with the gift, all he can do is rejoice in who? The Lord. Because it's what Paul does. He's a man who rejoices in the Lord. Whenever you see joy in his life, it's always in the Lord. In fact, as we've worked our way through this letter up to this point, we have seen time and time again where Paul has trusted in God's sovereign hand. Back in chapter 1 and verse 17, there were some who were preaching Christ out of selfish ambition, thinking to cause Paul distress in his imprisonment. That's what they were after. They wanted to get Paul to be distressed in his imprisonment. What does he say? In verse 18, he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I what? I rejoice. I'll rejoice. Was Paul concerned when he had people that were after him? People causing him, trying to cause him distress in his imprisonment? Was he concerned about that? No. He just rejoiced that Christ was being preached. He trusted in the sovereignty of God. In verse 21 and 24 of chapter 1, he knows that his life could be taken from him. He knows he might not make it out of, out of prison. 
Is Paul concerned about it? No. He's not concerned. In fact, he doesn't know what to choose. His desire is to go and be with Christ, but he also knows that staying will be profitable for the Philippians. He's so confident in the sovereignty of God that he goes, hey, the Lord takes me, praise the Lord. That's where I desire to be. But if God keeps me here, all right, then God keeps me here. And guess what? It's going to be profitable for you guys because God's going to use me to minister to you. He was confident in the sovereignty of God. In chapter 2 and verse 17, he shares how his life is in a very difficult situation. He says there that he's being poured out as a drink offering. That final offering that's being given there. My life is being poured out as a drink offering. What's his response? He says, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Even in the midst of my difficult circumstances, as my life is being poured out as a drink offering, I rejoice. Think about all of the difficult circumstances that Paul was in. And what was his response? I rejoice in the Lord. I rejoice. How was he able to do that? How was Paul able to respond with joy and rejoicing in the Lord? Because he had confidence in the sovereignty of God in his life. He wasn't worried about what was going to happen to him. He just trusted that God was going to take care of him. No matter the situation that he was in, he trusted God is going to take care of me because I'm his child and he loves me. You see, the way that you and I can stay content in whatever situation God has us in is to remember God's sovereignty. Remember God's sovereignty. It goes back to what we teach in our membership class here at Faith Bible Church, that we have a high view of God and a low view of man. You see, so often we become discontent in our lives because we begin to put the focus on self and our wants and the so-called needs that we have created in our own lives. And when our eyes get focused on self, then we begin to look at our wants and our needs and we forget that God is sovereign and that He's promised that He is going to take care of us. We forget about God's sovereign hand who's working all things together for our good and for His glory, Romans 8.28. That great promise that God has given to us. He's working all things out for our good. And for His glory. When we get our eyes focused on self, we, we forget about His Word and what He teaches us in the story of Joseph that what man meant for evil, God means for good. Man is working all things for evil, but now God is working it all out for good. We forget that the Lord is our shepherd and therefore I shall not want. Psalm 23. And literally, what David says there, this is, this is how it would read in the Hebrew. David is saying in Psalm 23 there this, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack 
nothing. That's a more literal rendering of Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack not a thing. Nothing in my life. David says there that Yahweh is his shepherd, and because Yahweh is his shepherd, there is no lack or deficiency in the Lord's provision. None. Because his trust is in who? The Lord, who does what? Provides for his people. And therefore, David is what? Content. David's content. Content in every situation because he understands that the sovereign God of the universe is the shepherd and the provider. And therefore that means that he lacks nothing. He has everything that he needs in life because he has his God, his shepherd, the one who is leading him. And so, if you understand that there is nothing that you lack, then you are what? You're content. I lack nothing. I'm content. Totally content. And this means that you trust in God's providence in your life. What is God's providence? The Westminster Catechism defines it this way. God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all His creatures ordering them and all their actions to His own glory. He is ordering all things to His own glory. Another way that we could say this is that God is in complete control of all things and orders all things for His own glory. Everything. Everything in this world is all happening under the sovereign hand of God. There is nothing that is out of control. For our God. And so if God has me in a situation where I have little, I trust in his providence. That providentially, that's where God has me. And that he's ordering all things under his complete control. And what is my response to be? Be content. Be content. If God has me in a situation where I have prosperity, I trust in his providence that he's ordering all things under his complete control. And what am I to be then? Content. God's given me prosperity, but I'm to be content. As Warren Wiersbe says, life is not a series of accidents, it's a series of appointments. It's a series of appointments. And if I have little, then that is what God has appointed for me, and I am to be content. If I have much, then that is what God has appointed for me, and I am to be content. And Paul had this exact same outlook on his life. He was content, not because the Philippians brought him a gift. He was content because he trusted in God's sovereignty in his life. And therefore, he could rejoice in the Lord greatly. Because he knew that he was always under the sovereign hand of God. And therefore, wherever God had him, and whatever situation he was in, it was exactly where God wanted him to be. And he was content. 
Listen, if you're struggling with discontentment today, it may be that you're not allowing God to be God. You don't believe in the sovereignty of God. You've placed your own wants and your own desires above God's, and it's causing you to be discontent. So how do we respond? Repent. Repent of that. And trust in the sovereignty of God. Trust that God's sovereign hand is over your life. And be content. And so to be content, not only must we trust in the sovereignty of God, but second, we must learn to be satisfied. We must learn to be satisfied. Look at verse 11. Notice what Paul says there. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Paul learned this. And Paul is quick here to let the Philippians know that he's not complaining. He's not complaining. He's not saying, I rejoice because I really wanted the gift. In fact, as we already saw, his joy didn't come from the gift. It didn't come from what they sent. It had nothing to do with what Paul wanted. Why? Because he had learned to be satisfied. That's what he's saying there at the beginning of verse 11. Not that I speak from want. This has nothing to do with my wants. I have learned to be content in whatever situation God has put me in. And although Paul's circumstances were very difficult, he learned to be content. And listen, listen church, he never ever saw himself as a victim of his circumstances. He didn't have a victim mentality. He never saw himself as a victim of his surroundings. He wasn't complaining about what was happening to him. He wasn't blaming God, and he wasn't blaming others for the difficulties that were going on in his life. Instead, he trusted in God's sovereignty and God's perfect providence was being worked out in his life. No matter what circumstance Paul was in, he had learned to be content. You see, oftentimes when people get into difficult circumstances, those difficulties steal their contentment. It's those difficult circumstances that steal our contentment. We think that stuff is going to satisfy us and make our circumstances better, right? We've all done this. We become discontent and we think that if we just satisfy ourselves with a want or with a desire or a need that somebody has told us now that we have, then that's going to make all things better. People do this all the time. They're in a bad situation, and so they go out and fulfill a want and try and bring some kind of satisfaction to their own lives. They typically act on emotion, and and they go out and they'll buy a new car, thinking that car is now going to satisfy me. And they think they need it 
because the commercial told them they need it. (laughs) Only to realize later that their situation is still bad, and now they're $25,000 in debt. And now they don't even like the car. So they're discontent again. And it's this vicious cycle that continues on in people's lives as they continue to try and find satisfaction in other things. Instead of being satisfied in Christ. But that wasn't true of Paul, you see. He says there, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. That word content there is used only here in the New Testament. But in extra-biblical Greek, it referred to being self-sufficient or having enough or not being dependent upon others. But Paul wasn't self-sufficient because of who Paul was. As one commentator says, Paul's self-sufficiency is ultimately a Christ-sufficiency. He saw his life as being sufficient in Christ. That I belong to Christ and therefore I'm content because I have everything. Because now I have the shepherd and therefore because I belong to the shepherd, I lack what? Nothing. Totally content. Satisfied. And notice how Paul became content. He learned it. He learned it. Even for the Apostle Paul, it was not something that came naturally to him. He had to learn this. Marketing companies know this. This is how they're able to get people. They know that most people haven't learned contentment. Paul did. And he learned it in whatever circumstances he was in. When he was out of prison and when he was in prison. When he was on the road traveling and when he was visiting churches in town. Whatever circumstance he was in, learned to be content. Why? Because he was satisfied with whatever situation he was in. He was satisfied. In fact, he goes on to describe those situations. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, I know how to get along with humble means. He knew how to live in poverty. If that's what God had in store for him at that moment, at that time in his life, he rejoiced. He was content. He knew how to live in that situation. Then he goes on and he says, I also know how to live in prosperity. The phrase there could be rendered to have more than I need. More than I need or to have more than what is necessary for me. If I am at a point in my life where I have more than I actually need or more that's necessary for my life, he says if God wants to prosper me in this way, he knew how to live in that situation as well. He was totally content. Charles Spurgeon said this. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, these are both hard lessons to learn. But he says this. I do not know which is more difficult of the two. Talking about learning how to be content in nothing, with nothing, or with prosperity. I don't know which is 
the more difficult of the two. He says this, probably it is easier to know how to go down than how to go up. How many Christians have I seen grandly glorifying God in sickness and poverty when they have come down in the world? And ah, how often have I seen other Christians dishonoring God when they have grown rich or when they have risen to a position of influence among their fellow men? You see, far too many people go through life unsatisfied with their circumstances. And it's in those times when we have nothing that we have to learn to be content. We have to learn this. Too many people go through life unsatisfied with their circumstances. They begin to focus on what they don't have instead of thanking God for what they do have. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you thanked God for all that He's blessed you with? We often do this at mealtime, right? We thank God for the food. But think about all of the other blessings in your life that God has given to you by His grace. You don't deserve it. None of us deserve anything that we have. It's all by His grace. When was the last time that you thanked God for what He's given you? And if we learn to be satisfied with what God has provided, whether great or small, we will learn to be content. And that was Paul that was the Apostle Paul, and he goes on in verse 12, notice what he says, In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Again, he's reiterating what he's just told us about being content. And now he gives the example of food. There were times in his life where all that he had were beans and rice. That was it. And then there were other times in his life where he had a three-course meal. He says, whatever the situation was, I've learned to be content. One commentator says, with hunger pangs or a contentedly satisfied belly, Paul knew how to happily give thanks to God and get on with his work. And it wasn't his work that he was doing, but get on with the Lord's work. Thank God for all that God has provided for you, whether it's little or whether it's great. Be content and move on in God's work with what God has in store for you. And even materially, if he had abundance, he says, I'm, I was content. If he was suffering need, he was content. The word suffering need is the same word that's used to describe the prodigal son who squandered everything. Not that Paul had squandered everything, but that was the situation that he was in. Just as the prodigal son had squandered everything and he had nothing left, Paul says, hey, there were times where I had nothing. I was just like that, like that prodigal son. Not that he had squandered it. That was just the situation that he was in. But he was still content. Why? Because he learned to be satisfied. He learned to be satisfied. 
No matter what the situation was, he was a man who learned to be satisfied knowing that whatever circumstance he was in, it was the circumstance that God providentially had for him. So to be content, we must trust in God's sovereignty. Number two, we must learn to be satisfied. Finally, number three, we must depend on Christ's strength. We must depend on Christ's strength. Look at verse 13. You've probably seen this tattooed on somebody or written on some, somewhere, some athlete's tape. It's a well-known verse. We probably all have it memorized. Notice what he says there. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now look at the context of this verse. You see this? The context of this verse. Notice it has nothing to do with your dreams. Nothing. It's not a promise that you can be superhuman. It has nothing to do with winning a sporting event. Nothing to do with that. But it has everything to do with being content in every circumstance. Whether you're rich or you're poor. Whether you have nothing or you have a lot. Learn to be content. And how is it possible? Only when we depend upon Christ's strength. Only when we depend upon Christ's strength. Only when we get our eyes off of self and look to Christ for strength. Now, what Paul has in mind here is not spiritual strength. It's not what he has in mind here. It's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about spiritual strength where he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's not talking about spiritual strength. He's talking about this physical strength. He's just been talking about his physical circumstances, right? Being poor or being wealthy. Having abundance or suffering need. Whatever those physical circumstances were that he was in. How did he survive? How did he survive those times? Not in his own strength, especially the times when he was suffering need. How did he survive? Not by his own strength, but he had to depend upon Christ. He had to depend upon Christ. As one commentator says, what he is saying is that when he reached the limit of his resources and strength, even to the point of death, he was infused with the strength of Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that he never needed water or food or sleep. He did. He was a man, just like us. But in those moments where he didn't have those things, water and food and sleep, he needed strength. He needed strength to get through those circumstances. He he needed strength to get through those difficulties in his life. But he didn't find it in himself. He didn't turn to self to try and get through the difficult circumstances in his life. He turned to Christ for his strength. He depended upon Christ. And Paul knew about this amazing power that strengthens. Listen to what he wrote in Ephesians 4.14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. 
That is, even in those times of difficulties, I am relying upon Christ, knowing that by His strength, I can get through this. He goes on in verse 20 of Ephesians 4, and he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us. God can do it all. God can strengthen me. God can get me through the situation. God can get me through the poverty in my life. The hard things that are going on. The circumstance that he providentially has me in right now. I must depend upon him, and he is the one who is going to get me through. He is the one who's going to provide that next meal for me. And I have to depend upon Him. We have to look to His strength. We don't depend upon our own strength, but we depend upon Christ's strength. Now, it's important to pause right here and to note that this power for contentment is only for those who are living in obedience to Christ. Understand this, church. This is only for those who are living in obedience to Christ. For those who are not living in obedience to God, the difficult circumstances that they are in may be God's discipline in their lives. Let me give you an example. 2 Corinthians 3.10 If anyone is is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. So a man who is not willing to work and lacks in food does not need Christ's strength to endure. What does he need? Go get a job. Obey the Lord. Go work. That's what God has commanded you to do. He doesn't need to pray and ask for God's strength in his life. He needs to be obedient to the Lord and go do what God has commanded him to do. Now, he may go get a job and he's poor and that job doesn't pay a whole lot. Guess what he does then? Trust in who? Christ's strength to get him through. Lord, I'm being obedient to you, what you've called me to do. And I'm trusting you, Lord. I'm relying upon your strength to get me through this. But this here, Philippians 4.13, it only applies to those who are living in obedience to Christ. We must be living in obedience to Him. You see how this works? You can't be suffering because of disobedience and then say, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. You can't say that. What you need to do is be obedient so that you won't be in a place of feeling like you're suffering. Be obedient to Christ. But for those who are living in obedience, they can rely upon Christ's strength and learn to be content in whatever circumstance God has them in. Was Paul being obedient to the Lord? He was. What did his obedience lead him to? Prison in Rome. Where he didn't know if he was going to make it out. So what did he have to do in that circumstance? Rely on the strength of Christ. Not in his own strength, but rely upon Christ's strength, depending upon him. In closing, it was a fifth, fifth century 
and a man named Irenaeus was determined that he was going to live a holy life. So he abandoned the conforms of Egyptian society where he was living to follow a simple lifestyle out in the desert. Yet whenever he came back and visited the great city of Alexandria, he spent a lot of time wandering through the marketplaces. Asked why he did this, he explained it this way. He said that his heart rejoiced at the sight of all the things he didn't need. How can you and I have true contentment? We must trust in God's sovereignty. We must learn to be satisfied. And we must depend upon Christ's strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are with us in every circumstance in our life. Whether we are rich or poor, whether we have lot, lots or we have nothing, whether we are living in times of abundance or times of poverty, Lord, we know that we can trust in you. And Lord, we thank you that you are with us, that we are your children whom you've called out of this world to be yours. Father, I pray that you would help us to live our lives and be content in whatever situation you have put us in. Lord, help us to be obedient to you. Lord, to understand and recognize that it is in those times of obedience that we can rely upon your strength. Father, we can't live this life on our own. We can't live this life dependent upon self, but we must be fully and completely dependent upon you and have true and total contentment in Christ. Father, help us to live our lives this way, that we would bring glory and honor to your name, that we would not put any idols in our lives as we know that our hearts are idol factories. Oh, Lord, help us to cast down those idols that we would repent of any idolatry in our lives and that we would trust you and you alone, that we would pursue after you and fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And may we do it all for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.